James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Thanks, Jenny. Well, it's Graduate Sunday. It's Father's Day. We have some remarkable, if you're in Berea, you you heard we have some remarkable partners in the gospel here from the other side of the world. So naturally, I'm going to preach on slander. (laughs) I think it's part personality quirk, and I think it's also part genuine sanctification I like that. <laughs> I I don't feel particularly a deep need uh, against slander, and maybe you don't as well, but this is the Word of God, and it tells us what we need more than we know what we need or feel what we need. So let's learn how not to talk trash together this morning. I don't imagine I'll ever forget hearing a voicemail left for a pastor friend of mine. He was He'd heard it, and Invited me to listen to it, just was overwhelmed, wasn't sure what to do with it. It was from one of his elders who believed he'd witnessed my friend, his pastor, treat a different elder poorly, act wrongly towards him. The shocking thing for me wasn't that he, that that through the voicemail, the shocking thing wasn't that this elder might be accusing his pastor of wrongdoing, but the manner in which he was doing it. From my perspective, the voicemail sounded to me like contemptuous rage was probably the best way to describe it. The elder hurled accusations, swear words, and threats at my friend, his pastor. If anything ever could rightly be described, at least that I've experienced, as a brother speaking evil against another, that was it. In other words, if I've ever experienced a version of what James was forbidding, in this passage, it was in that voicemail. So in, in simplest terms, our passage for this morning, James 4, 1, or 11 and 12, James commanded his readers to stop talking trash to one another. Unpacked a bit more, which James does for us, he did so in the form of a three-part argument. And the first part embedded in this is a restated uh, larger, his larger charge, to be doers of the word and not merely hearers of it. Second, under that banner, that broader banner, he gave a specific thing that he meant his people to do, namely not slander one another. And then thirdly, lastly, he gave graciously specific reasons why that's the case. So biggest banner, be here, don't be doers of the word, not just hearers. Secondly, specifically do this thing, hear it and then do it. And thirdly, a handful of reasons why you ought to do that. In this sermon, I'm going to restate each of those main points of his argument and briefly unpack them for you. And my goal in all of this, I think, is James's goal, namely that we would talk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. So not only not talk in a manner that's displeasing to the Lord, but instead be characterized by speech that builds one another up. And so the title changed several times. So if you read news and notes, you got the wrong title. The new and great 
title is not that. It's Do Not Slander, for it leads to destruction. There's a lot at stake here. Let's pray. God, thank you for this people. As John prayed earlier, thank you for the fathers in this room, the physical and the spiritual fathers, and and ultimately in that they, we, well or poorly, I suppose, one way or another, we are all pointing to you, the one true father, the, the one through whom all life truly comes, and the one who truly represents all of us, and the one in whom in whose image we are all truly made. And thankful for that. We're thankful that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we we are rightly called because we are your sons and daughters. What an amazing gift that is. I, I know I know in this room there's father pain. And I love the fact I love the fact that you are our one true father. Every earthly father, like John said again, is is at best a, a dim shadow, a reflection of what we were made for. The thing we all long for in our earthly father is found only and truly and ultimately in you. So please let us let us let us believe that deeply. Let us let us feel that deeply, and therefore let us let us lean way into your word. This morning, this is your word, the words of a father to his children, words of love and, and grace and kindness. They're sort of harsh words. They're, they're sort of a rebuke. They're a rebuke, at least from James, to his people. And yet they are the kind, ultimately the kind words of a father who, who longs for his children to know the truth and to, to live in the truth, to walk in the truth and to know fullness of life and the everlasting joy that comes when we do in faith. Thank you that even though none of us have, none of us fully will in this life, Jesus Christ died to atone and sent the Spirit to strengthen us. Thank you for that. Let us all, in the end, stop talking trash in our homes, in our workplaces, among our family and friends, and as James commands, especially among the people of God. God, let us not be trash talkers, but instead let us be people who continually speak words of life and healing and encouragement. I pray that for me especially. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, first main heading and part of his argument is that we're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. At the end of the first verse for this morning, at the end of uh, chapter 4, verse 11, James spoke of being a doer of the law. You can see it. If you have your Bibles, you can see it in there. There's a relationship between slandering and not being a doer of the law. This is an extension, as as I just said, of his earlier and primary charge in all of the letter. This, this whole letter is really centers around and flows out of chapter 1, verse 22. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. This is just another expression of that. It's a particular expression of that. So his main point, Grace, settle on this today if you haven't already. His main point in the whole letter, this is a particular expression of that, is that Christians obey Jesus. Christians obey Jesus. If you claim to be a Christian but are not characterized by growing obedience to Jesus, 
James says you're deceiving yourself. In other words, James wants his readers to understand in no uncertain terms that the claim to have faith in Jesus is always vindicated by obedience to Jesus. Now that, that's not to say Christianity in the way most people think, is a works-based religion. We don't gain God's favor through this obedience. Rather, God creates it in us as we place our hope in him. So it's critical. It's good to remind ourselves of why James could say something like that, therefore, with such confidence. How could he say definitively that those who hear the word of God will be doers of it? And if you're not, you're not a Christian. How, how could he say that so definitively? The simplest form of the answer, which if you've been with us through James, you've heard countless times, not countless, many times, you could count them. The simplest form of the answer is that the grace of God that leads to forgiveness of sins also always leads to repentance of sins. It's the same grace. He can say that so confidently, not because he feels or believes that you and I have the strength inside of us, but the very grace of God that makes us Christians makes us like Christ as well, gradually, over time, and ultimately, fully and finally at death, the return of Christ. Let me say that again. The grace that justifies also always sanctifies. That's how we can say this. That's what we need to hear. So most of James's letter describes the specific kind of doing God works out in his people. We hear the word of God, and then God works out the doing in us. So James is largely saying Hey, hey, you need to be doers, not just hearers. Let me tell you the kind of doing that God requires of you. And so again, the specific charge of verse 11, that verse 11 begins with, is just one more description of the kind of grace of God-enabled works that must and will, by God's grace, flow, flow out of those who are genuinely trusting in Jesus. Okay, so in one sense, all of that's a review. You've all you've heard all of that, but that's the banner flying over this, and it's embedded in the doer of the law clause in verse eleven in our passage. So with that that in mind, then let's let's turn to the second part of James's argument and look more closely to the new and specific commandments, the new expression of saving faith, which is the new charge that James's readers were meant to hear and then do. So what then was the specific charge, and what did it mean? On Father's Day, on Graduate Sunday, on Global Partner Sunday, do not speak evil against each other, brothers. Simply and clearly, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. As has been the case in every previous example, so all of James's commands so far in James... This has been the case with every previous example. His command here wasn't a theoretical charge. He wasn't simply filling his readers' minds with things that they ought to do or ought to avoid doing should the situations ever present themselves. Does that make sense? He wasn't just filling their heads with good ideas that maybe one day they ought to or might have the opportunity to put in place in practice. Rather, James's commands were rooted in things his readers were really dealing with. They were struggling with this. They, they were evidently talking trash to one another. In this, therefore, James was ultimately drawing a line. So if you remember the, the first principle, it meshes right here. 
he was ultimately drawing a line in the sand for his readers. It wasn't theoretical. It wasn't potential. It was actual. There's a line in the sand, brothers, brothers and sisters, he said. James's understanding of the nature of salvation, according to it, either they would continue on in disobedience to the will of God here, keep talking trash, keep speaking evil against one another, Either they would continue in disobedience to the will of God and show themselves imposters in the faith, or they would repent and demonstrate the authenticity of their faith, that the grace of God truly was in them. Again, either way, this was not a hypothetical situation or a potential command. What's more, this command was also a more specific application yet of his charges to his readers to be slow to speak, slow down, be slow to speak, be quick to listen, be slow to anger and to bridle their tongues. Back in chapter 1, we saw those. To guard their speech in general. Most of chapter 3 was about this. Evidently, talking in ungodly ways was a a common struggle or a, a significant struggle for his readers. So this further command concerned the need to speak in godly ways, again, was do not speak evil against one another. What does that mean? Sounds simple enough, and in some ways it is. But what did he really mean by this? Again, it was a charge in its most basic form not to slander. Well, what does that mean? Slander carries with it the basic meaning of negative speech intended to do harm to someone else. It usually involves lying and always involves malice. It refers to mindless, thoughtless, careless, critical, derogatory, untrue speech directed at someone else. And in this case, someone else within the church. So far from unique to James, though, the whole Bible speaks against this. It prohibits and warns of the consequences of this kind of speech from and among God's people. One pastor notes that God speaks against slander more than any other sin. I didn't know that. I'm assuming he's telling the truth. But but I, I knew it was all over in the Bible. I didn't know it was the thing spoken against more than any other sin. Just to give you a sampling of that, First and simplest, the Bible outright forbids it. Many places. First in Leviticus 19.16, which probably James had in mind when he was writing this, this passage. In addition, the kind of person that can be in God's presence, the Bible says, is described as one who does not slander. Psalm 15. The Bible promises divine destruction, similar to what we're about to see in James, to the slanderer. Psalm 101, those who slander are called fools, Proverbs 10. The Bible says it is unwise even to associate with people who speak that way, Proverbs 20. Slander is the result of God's judgment, Romans 1. Paul and Peter join James in repeatedly commanding Christians to repent of slander, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, 2 Peter 2. In fact, slander is so serious that if you want to be a leader within the church, even your wife is not allowed to be a slanderer. So like the second degree, uh, it's a disqualifying thing to have a wife who slanders for leadership in the church, the Bible says. I imagine you get the idea. Slander's bad. It's always been bad. It always will be bad. It's not to be tolerated among God's people. And yet, to be clear, the command not to speak evil was not a charge to refrain from calling each other out in sin. Now, this is really important because a lot of times something like this gets lumped with this 
fake idea of what it means not to judge. Let me say that again. To be clear, the command not to speak evil was not a charge to refrain from calling out sin in one another as Christians, which is, in fact, what James is doing here. It can't mean that because that's what James is doing in this passage, and it's what Jesus explicitly commanded in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, if your brother does evil, speak about it. It's the essence of what Jesus commands. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, get some more people to speak against his evil. Take two, one or two others with you. Let every charge be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if they refuse, still get more people to speak against evil. Tell it to the church. So in grace and love, which we see in James's return, if, if you've been with us, he's called his readers brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a kind of a term of endearment. And then he switched over in the passages just before this, spoke really harshly to him. But he's coming back to referring to them as brothers. So in grace and love, Christians must not speak evil against one another, even as we must speak against evil in one another. See the difference? Christians must not speak about Christians in ways that are evil, but at the same time we must speak whenever we find evil within the church. Perhaps the easiest way to tell the difference. You might think, well, how do I know which one I'm doing? Perhaps the easiest way to tell the difference between godly discernment, recognizing evil that you're trying to talk talk about in helpful ways, and sinful condemnation in our own hearts, is by checking your motives. Just what's behind this? What, what's really driving this? Sinful condemnation is always first and most horizontal. There might be some little remnants or, or, or little bits of vertical, but mostly, first and mostly, it's horizontal, where godly discernment is always first and most vertical. That is, sinful condemnation, the wrong kind, speaking evil against, flows from concern over how someone else's sins, as real as they might be, negatively affect your life. Is your main concern this is making life harder or more awkward or that I don't like it? That's that's a good sign that you're in the realm of sinful condemnation rather than godly discernment. Well, godly judgment flows over concern for how someone else's sin is falling short of the glory that God deserves and harming his people. We must we must use godly discernment addressing evil within the church. We must not sinfully condemn, slander, or speak evil against. In short, then, the basic meaning of James's command was to stop slander within the church. All right, so that leads to the third and final section, which is the reasons behind this. Having clearly commanded his readers to stop slandering one another, James then gave them a handful of reasons for his command. Now, again, get this. Get this clearly, Grace. As I've pointed out before, this is not this was not necessary. It's never necessary. The simple fact that God commands us to do something is enough. We don't need reasons. We don't need anything more than that. He's not required to give them to us. He has the authority to command us what he wills for the purposes for which he wills. God is not required to give us anything beyond that. Now that's like every parent of a three-year-old son experiences daily. You already know maybe where I'm going with this. 
Can I have a bag of Skittles and some dirt for dinner, Mom? Mom? No, son, you, you can't. What is the next words out of your son's mouth? Why? Why can't I have a bag of Skittles and some dirt for dinner? At this point, the parent has the God-given authority to say, because I said so. <laughs> right? Because I said no. The child does not deserve any answer beyond what the parent has given, and at times, godly parents will say simply that. In fact, it happens so often in our house among someone who shall not be named that I have turned to saying, because of pickles, that's why. You're, you're free to use that. Because of pickles. <laughs> I think she knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> However, there are also times when good parents will give the reasoning. In a humble child, a parent might share their reasoning to help build wisdom in this child, to prepare them for adulthood, to give them the ability to make godly decisions, to establish trust, or even when it comes to boys, to simply keep them alive a little longer till the Spirit of God might come upon them. I remember James Dobson one time said, if you have 18-year-old sons, you won. <laughs> There's something to that, isn't there? Speaking of our graduate here. Whenever a parent chooses to do so, though, it is not required, but an added measure of grace and love, just like God to us. And so again, the same thing is true here. James could have stopped after the command itself, and it would have been sufficient under the inspiration of God. Truly, the reason Christians ought not speak evil against one another is because God forbids it. Now, to know his nature is to know more about why he would, but it's sufficient. For our good and theirs, though, once again, James went a few layers deeper on our behalf. In love, brothers, and in his desire to make obedience easier, James graciously gave five reasons why slander must have no place in the church. Here they are. Number one, speaking evil against another is the product of sinful condemnation of that person. Subtly embedded in the first clause after the command, still in verse 11 then, James wrote the first of his five reasons why his readers needed to stop slandering one another. His first readers and his readers today, you and I. James wrote, the one who speaks against his brother judges his brother. The type of judgment that the word itself means or is referring to that not discerning judgment like we talked about earlier, godly discernment, but as I mentioned above, condemning judgment. The idea is that James's readers felt they possessed the wisdom and authority to decide on a fellow Christian's guilt in, a, in, in some given matter, matter and ultimately how they deserved to be treated in light of it. And that's what happens every time you and I slander someone. We're passing judgment upon them. We, we believe ourselves to possess the kind of wisdom that understands the situation well enough to pronounce judgment, both on what they've done, their guilt in it, and on what they deserve in light of it. And so we speak slanderous words. Of course, as will become clear, even more clear shortly, they did not. We do not. No one on earth has that wisdom and authority. And it was evil of them, idolatrous of them, to think that they did. James's point then is that evil words are always preceded by evil thoughts. James would likely have 
heard this directly from his brother, Jesus, who said, out of the heart comes evil thoughts and slander, Matthew fifteen nineteen. In other words, it's as if James were saying, this is the New Dave translation, stop slandering one another because slander is evil by itself, but it is never all by itself. All by itself it's evil, but your slander never is all by itself. Your slander is bad, but the wickedness in your hearts that precedes and produces it is worse still. Therefore, your actions are even worse and ungodly than they seem on the surface. And they seem bad enough on the surface. It's the same thing. Have you ever had someone speak to you in ways that were wrong and you knew it was wrong and they did too? And they said something to you or apologized, something like this? I'm sorry I said that. I didn't really mean it. Almost 100% of the time that's a lie and they should apologize for that too. What do I mean? They might not have meant to say it out loud, but they did mean it. That kind of talk can't come from nowhere. It's as if they're saying it just popped popped out of thin air and it, it wasn't even me. It's like sort of like a ventriloquist or something. Words always, Grace. Words always. When you talk trash, when I talk trash, words always exist first. This is what James is wanting to help us see. They always exist first in our hearts before they can ever come out of our mouths. So given the fact that James's readers struggled to see the seriousness of their slander, which evidently they did because they were still doing it, James wanted to help them see that such behavior stemmed from a deeper problem. It might not have seemed all that serious to them. And so James wanted to help them see not only should you stop, but you should stop because it's worse than you think. He wanted to see that it was a deeper problem of the heart in the hope that in recognizing the true nature of their sin, they'd be more inclined, more convicted, more burdened to turn from it and obey. That's the first reason. Second, it's more serious still. In fact, his reasons build in seriousness. The second and more serious reason James gave as to why his readers should stop talking like this to one another, stop slandering one another, was that it was a violation of the very heart of the law of God. The one who speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks evil against the law. What does that mean? How is that a, a violation of the heart of the law? As we just saw, the heart of slander is evil intentions towards another person. It's, it's hatred. It's, it's a feeling towards them that God does not mean us to have. It's evil intentions towards them. But what's the heart of the law of God? James has already told us this. Jesus, of course, tells us in Matthew 22. But James says this, if you really are to fulfill the royal law of, the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's the heart of the law is love for your neighbor. And so when you speak to someone out of evil and hatred towards them, you're violating the very heart of all that God commands. The law can never be fulfilled in hate and anger. Slander isn't merely an internal and external affront against other Christians. It's an internal and external affront against the very law of God, the law of love. It's more serious than you and I imagine when we talk trash. I think I said this before, but as a non-believing young person, our family's native tongue was sarcasm. And But even I, even I as a punk teenager, realized and, and cried out in overly dramatic fashion, sarcasm is killing our family. But it's true, far more than I realized at the time. 
Again, to increase his readers' understanding of how serious of a matter their, their speech was, their slander was, and in order to increase their motivation to obey, James helped them to see it increasingly for what it really was. Grace, pray that the Holy Spirit of God would draw this to mind every time you're tempted to talk trash to someone else, about someone else, and especially to other children of God. Pray that you'd be able to see it as a serious indication. Why do you normally talk that way to someone else? Because you believe they have a problem. But pray that the Holy Spirit would help. This is what James is trying to get us to see. That the Holy Spirit would help you to see that your desire to speak that way indicates that the real heart issue is yours first. The real issue that needs to, the real heart that needs to be addressed is yours before theirs. Third, persisting, why, why, why shouldn't you slander? Persisting in evil words and sinful condemnations is not only, is not, not only to get away from or, or to ignore the word of God or to violate it at its core, but it is also to condemn it. This is a big deal. It gets worse still. Not only does slander come from a heart in rebellion to God and violate the most important law of God, but it is, in effect, a condemnation of the law of God. He says this, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. James accused them of having the same condemning judgment toward the law as they had toward one another. It's the same word. Again, we must grasp this, Grace. James's readers were slandering one another with their words because they harbored condemnation for one another in their hearts. And in so doing, they were breaking the law of God and therein revealing that they despised it as well. Get this. Just like you can't talk trash to someone else if you don't first have that trash in your heart, you can't reject the, the word of God, the commands of God, if you haven't first condemned it in your heart. That's a big deal. That's what we're doing every time we sin. We're taking what God has said and declaring that we don't like it as much as what we want in that moment. That is, when we sin, we're condemning the commands of God as less than perfect, less than trustworthy, less than satisfying, less than, less than essential, less than the words of the king, less than good, and less than our petty desires in that moment. When God commands his people to do anything, it is always his right as God. It always flows from love. It is always in line with our true nature and ordering. And it is always a description of the one path that leads to genuine satisfaction. To disobey then any time, and in particular when it comes to slander, is to reject and condemn all of that in God and in his word. That James's readers then, now, and us, were willing to cast aside the word of God in order to follow the lusts of their flesh was not only to disobey the law of God, it was also to condemn it by helping them and us again to come to recognize this. It's meant to be a splash of cold water on our drunken faces to sober us up, wake us up to the reality of that kind of talk and what it means for us in relation to one another and ultimately in relation to God. I hope that they would find instead true life and joy, repentance. Fourth, 
Condemning the law of God is to place yourself, therefore, above God. Worse yet, a slanderer in violating and condemning the law of God is attempting to place themselves above God. That is, believe it or not, attempting to make yourself out to be God. Verse 12 says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, so who are you to judge your neighbor? It's one kind of evil, Grace. It's one kind of evil to disobey the law of God. It's evil. It's one kind, though. It is another kind to disobey it because we despise it, like James said. That's another kind. It's worse still. And it's another kind of evil yet to seek to replace it altogether, pretending to be God, to have the authority to do that. There is only one lawgiver and judge, only one person with the authority to give laws and judge them, and it is not you. Would you look to the person next to you and tell them that? Because that's true of them, and it's true of you. It is God himself, of course. Who are you to judge your neighbor against your new self-made laws? The answer is, you're no one. You do not have the authority to do that. And so setting themselves up as God describes much of what James was trying to address with his readers and it describes much of what we're experiencing today. I want you, I wrote a number of these down. I'm not going to, you can read them later if you want. But right now, I just want you to draw to mind almost anything you experience in life, even down to the very essence of what it means to be a person, to be a man or a woman, to, to the most fundamental institution in society. What is marriage? To, to think about the thing that God's given to establish society and government. Think about almost anything you encounter, and you will find someone increasingly, maybe most people, who not only reject that and replace that, but also call it evil those who hold to that. Almost everything. Consider anything you would, and you'll find a version of that in the world today, and it's growing and growing and growing. In any of them, it's to place ourselves above God as the one who has the right to define things and order things and judge things. Again, whether they recognized it or not, in their slander, whether you've recognized it or not, in your slander, or whatever form your trash talking has taken, this is what James's readers were doing. They were harboring bitterness for one another. They were repudiating and condemning the, the law. They were violating it at its very heart, and they were making themselves out to be God as if they were the ones who could make the laws. That's what James's readers were doing, even as it is what so many among us are doing. So by presenting it like this, James hoped the obvious folly. It's one thing to say, hey, don't, don't talk trash. It makes sense. We sort of get it. It doesn't seem that serious. It's another thing altogether to say, when you do, you're making yourself out to be God. He, he hoped that the obvious folly of what they were doing, making that obvious to them, would cause his readers to turn from it. Here's, here's the last, the last reason he gave. Finally, and most serious of all, to continue an unrepentant slander, which is to continue an unrepentant condemnation of a, another child of God, as well as Continue an unrepentant condemnation of the law of God, which is to place yourself above God, always leads to destruction. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save, 
So we would repent, James's hope in writing this, and destroy those who would not. The consequence, consequences of their actions, should they continue in them, were not mere hostility towards one another, which certainly was the case, or inconvenience within the church, which certainly was the case, or discomfort among God's people. If you've ever been in a church or any context where slander is the native tongue, it's just hard to be there. Those are true, but not only those things. The consequences ultimately were everlasting destruction. As we saw in the very first point of the sermon, this was not destruction that resulted from losing their faith. That's not what he was saying. But from revealing the fakeness of the faith that they claimed to have. Having heard the word of God concerning slander, but continually refusing to submit to it, refusing to be a doer of the royal law showed that they were deceiving themselves about ever having been children of God to begin with. And that meant they remained condemned in their sin and under the wrath of God and on the way to destruction. Not to put too fine of a point on it, Grace, but but by condemning each other and the law of God then, they were actually testifying without repentance to their own condemnation. Unrepentant sin in general and unrepentant slander specifically always ends in destruction. Destruction of the soul, first and most importantly, but also destruction of everything that we touch. Warmth in their homes is destroyed with trash talk and slander. Unity in the churches is destroyed. Encouragement in their friendships. Integrity in their ministries and on and on. We cannot continue in sin and walk in flourishing. They don't go together. It will always eventually lead to destruction. All right, that's pretty depressing. So let me let me conclude with something a little more encouraging. I want to conclude by calling all of you to heed James's commands and for James's reasons. Stop slandering. Do it right now. Stop stop slandering. If you were planning some good slander later this afternoon, cancel your plans. Right? Cancel it. Don't do that. And and stop because speaking evil against another is the product of use having already sinfully condemned them, which isn't your right, because evil words and sinful condemnations violate the heart of the law, which is worse, because persisting in evil words and sinful condemnation is to condemn the very law of God, which commands you not to, because condemning the law of God is to place yourself above God, and because all these things lead to destruction if you do not turn from them to Christ in faith. All right, do that. Don't slander. More than that, however, I want you, I want to call you not just to not speak evil, but to speak good towards one another. It is true that the Bible is filled with all kinds of disincentives to slander, but it is also filled with all kinds of incentives to speak words of encouragement and life. Grace, I, I want to be a, not a, I hate flattery. Let's not be a flattering church. Let's not make stuff up and, and, and be un, unhelpfully flowery. And if someone stinks at singing, don't tell them they don't. I'm talking about me. We were just talking in the prayer room. I think if I take helium, I sound better than when I don't take it. It's bad. So don't even sit next to me. Don't tell, if you tell me that you think I'm a good singer, I know you're lying. Don't do that. So I don't mean that, but here's what I mean. Rather than slander, rather than by slander, let us be a church characterized by our words of encouragement, 
It takes intentionality. Some of you are just really good at it. Keep doing that. Most of us, though, are not. It takes intentionality and purpose. And so let's commit ourselves to identifying evidences of of grace vertically. How is God working in your life that's praiseworthy? First to God and and then to you. Let us identify. let Let us be marked grace. Let us be marked by identifying evidences of grace in those we might otherwise be tempted to speak against. Let's work to recognize the manifestations of the image and goodness of God in one another and talk about those things rather than whatever lingering effects of the fall might remain in in each other. And let's do all of that ultimately. You think, well, that I don't, I don't know. Can I do that? You can. And here's why. Ultimately, because God sees you not, not in light of the lingering effects of the sin that remain in you, but in the imputed righteousness of Christ that is yours by grace through faith. When God sees you, he doesn't see the junk that he might talk trash about. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And so if that's how God sees us in Jesus, let us learn to see that in one another in Jesus. Because of Jesus' sacrificial death, victorious resurrection, and as Pastor Mike taught us last week, his glorious ascension, we have been united with Jesus in each of those things when we place our faith in him. And so, Grace, our identity as children of God, as as redeemed sinners, our identity is no longer in our sin, but in Christ's righteousness. So if you can't learn to see that in one another, why do you think that God sees that in you? So again, our identity is no longer in our sin, but in Christ's righteousness. And if that's what God sees when he looks to us, let it be what we see when we look to one another. So let us not talk evil or speak evil against one another, but encouragement and righteousness to one another. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this passage. Thank you that it happened on Father's Day and Graduate Sunday and Global Partner Berea Day. Thank you very much for that. It's not what any of us probably came in here thinking we needed to hear, but evidently in your providence, it's what all of us did need to hear. I pray that we would increasingly grow in our appetite for your word and what it tells us. I pray that, in fact, our appetites would increasingly be shaped by your word and what it tells us. Above all, I pray that our great delight would be in Christ. I pray that, above all, we would acknowledge that he he is the way, the truth, and the life, that the very word of God is like gold, much refined gold. And whatever it says, wherever it says it, is what we need. We thank you for that. We thank you that it is sufficient. We thank you that it is effective. We thank you that it is complete. We thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name as those who long not to be slanderers, but speakers of life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.